popular question we get asked regularly is, how do I know if my customers are happy with our relationship? There's probably no better way to identify how to build better relationships with your clients than by using our Mindset Survey tool. The Sales Mindset Survey is a free-to-use tool that is revolutionizing the sales performance industry. This survey utilizes competing questions and the user's perceptions of themselves to identify just how well they truly perform. Are you manipulative or authentic, supplier or client-centric, complacent or proactively creative, overtly arrogant or tactfully audacious? There is no right or wrong and the survey will only be helpful as you are honest. But then why did you go one step further? We also offer a 360-degree perspective that allows you to share the survey with your peers and colleagues as well as your customers to gain even deeper understanding of how you sell. Do your customers see you in the same light of how you see yourself? Becoming a better salesperson has never been an easy task, but the journey can be made much quicker and more effective with the right tools. By focusing on those problem areas, you will join the top 10% of sales performers in the industry and make your way to the winner's circle. Why did you give the Sales Mindset Survey a go today? The results may just surprise you. The link to the survey is in the show notes. Now, on to the episode. First of all, Vesna, can I just say a huge welcome uh, to the Consalia Sales Transformation podcast series. It's, uh, it's wonderful to have you with us. I'm really honored to be invited. Um, I think the topic that we're going to be speaking about around uh, sort of culture and strategy and and so on is a subject that's really, really close to my heart. So I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely looking forward to the conversation we'll have together. Uh, but what we typically do before we get started um, on the topic is, is, is to understand a bit more about uh, the people that come on to the podcast. So Vesna, I wonder if you can just um, go back in history a bit and tell us a little bit about you and your career and... Uh, mm-hmm where it all started and how you come to now get involved in this uh, really important new, new uh, initiative that you're working mm-hmm. on around, uh, around culture and strategy and so on. Thank you. Well, it started a long time ago. As a kid, I always wanted to be a journalist. Uh, and I was thinking I will travel the world. I will get to know different cultures. I would get to know different people, win a Pulitzer Award at one point. But of course, as we discussed before, life happens. And uh, at the time when I was a kid, we were still in Yugoslavia. So when I was studying, uh, I went to the high school. And in the high school, I met a friend whose brother was in a student organization, ISEC. And that was so amazing because whenever we said, Branka, where is your brother? She said, in Sweden. Branka, where is your brother? In Canada. So every time he was somewhere, And that was an organization of students of economics. So it changed my mind in high school. And I went to to study economics and joined ISEC, of course, the student organization, and started traveling the world and understanding the culture. I really loved all the diversity. I loved the fact that, you know, people live the way they live and they don't care about the rest or they live like their grandparents live or... If they want, they completely change and they do something else. So this was really inspiring for me all the time. So when I started to work, 
I was looking to start to work for a foreign company, for an international company. And I was lucky enough that Stimorol, at that time, then DAS, Stimorol Chewing Gum Company, employed me. And they started, they gave me a great opportunity. I mean, I was just a kid, pretty much, 25 you know, knew not about much about the world. I had some leadership experience because I was a president of ISEC Yugoslavia. So there are 19 different universities that I was coordinating, but you know, I was still just a kid, but they saw something in me and they employed me to be a country manager of um, Adriatic and Balkans. So the area of ex-Yugoslavia, Albania, they were, it, the good thing was also that I spoke the languages of the whole, all, all, of all the region. So together with my enthusiasm, I guess they thought this was good enough. And what sort and of I, role did you have um, with, with them at the time, you know, when they took mm -hmm. you on board? Then, you were a country manager, but what, what, did, what did that involve? Well, country manager involved everything pretty much at the beginning. So I was a, uh, I was a manager of the company. I was a salesperson. I was a marketing person. I was, I did have an outside consult, um, accounting, but everything else, particularly sales and marketing were in my hands. Uh, and that is also when I got this passion for selling and for marketing. In my opinion, and I know a lot of people will hate me for this, but in my opinion, sales and marketing are one. Yeah, you cannot have one without the other. You cannot have a brand without selling it. You cannot have sales without knowing what your brand is and what it stands for. So for me, that is when I started. And Dandy was really great. They, they organized um, internal MBA for all the country managers. So every month they invested one week into training us. I thought that was amazing. Uh, yeah, we had really, different, really amazing. Yeah, we had different topics like finance for managers, marketing. We, we made our own chewing gum from scratch so that we understood really deep insight of how you make a product. Then we had sales uh, training, a week of sales training somewhere in Denmark. It was amazing. It was a great trainer. And I'm sure you even develop now the training, the training sessions and the trainings that you do on sales. But for me, coming from having zero experience, that was actually amazing. Mm -hmm. So in a week, we've been doing all different types of negotiations, public speaking. Um, they woke us up one morning at two o'clock uh in the hotel and they, they invited everyone to come to the stage and we had two minutes only presentation about various topics. Mine was grass, for example. So now how much can you tell about grass at two o'clock in the morning to make sure that people don't fall asleep? You know, it gives you, of course, it was a funny, funny exercise, but it gives you an understanding that you need to focus when you speak, that you need to make people interested, otherwise they would fall asleep. So that was my first, and I would say the part where my passion for sales started. Yeah, so you moved away from sales, I think, and then you sort of moved more into perhaps marketing, which is, which is uh, great. Marketing and management, uh, okay. both. So later I, was, uh, I went to the um, pharmaceutical uh, area. I was in GlaxoSmithKline Consumer Healthcare Division where I was doing marketing. Later also, I was a member of the leadership team of Central Eastern Europe, responsible for media and also a champion of diversity and inclusion. 
Uh, in between, I've been leading a media agency in Adriatic and Balkans. Um, so there was, a, there was very different things I did. But in, to answer what you commented, like that I went away from sales, I actually went away from sales function, but I didn't go away from sales. Yeah. Great. No, I, I, no, I completely uh, agree that sales and marketing, you, you shouldn't separate them. But it's, it's very interesting. If you, look, if you go back into history, um, and particularly if you look at um, uh, the UK and you look at the professional bodies that represent sales and marketing, we used to have the um, Chartered Institute of Sales and Marketing um, but in, 19, in the 1960s, it decided it would drop the word sales from it. So uh -huh. it's now known as the Chartered Institute of Marketing. And I think this has been some of the challenges that, uh, that, that, that has existed or does indeed exist to this day around, um, you know, uh, uh, around sales and marketing kind of being seen as one. Uh, and I think it's a great shame that some of the these divergent um, thoughts and processes happen. I, I actually do think uh, in the modern era that we're now in, not in the 1960s when this happened, that, that you know, people are seeing these two um, functions coming together. But still, you know, at university, if you were to go on a university degree course now uh, and you were to research academic journals. There are about 150 academic journals that are connected with marketing, and there are two academic journals linked to sales. Um, Very so, interesting. So the balance, you know, from an academic point of view, the balance between sales and marketing is very much skewed in, you know, towards marketing. And, that, and that, that's because a lot of the um, business schools in the world have kind of felt that sales is a bit of a dirty word, you know, that it's not as professional as marketing. And for that reason, you know, sales has got a, a bit of a, you know, a tarnished image. And I, mm -hmm. I think it's a great shame. But I, you probably know that we're doing, as, you know, we're doing a lot to try and change that image uh, through some of the education programs that we're running. But, you know, I, I always am um, really pleased to hear anyone like in, you know, being country managers and running businesses are saying, actually, sales and marketing, we should see them as, as one thing. <laughs> yeah, all connected. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, there are specifics for marketing and for, for sales. But I think that maybe marketing is more sexy because there are all these marketing awards. Uh, but some of them, like EFI, I used to be uh, president of EFI Slovenia, uh, in the lives from 2020 to 2022. And uh, actually, that is one of the rewards in marketing, which takes in consideration sales. So if you have effective and efficient investment, then you get the award. And I think those are the parts which we would need to think, you know, how to bring it back together. Because being in sales or a salesperson is just not as sexy as being marketing person. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I had a book published a couple of years ago uh, called Selling Transformed, and it was put in for an award, um, you know, one of the major book awards. And and they, they didn't have a classification for sales. So I was competing uh, in, in a category that, you know, was around business management or something. And, uh, and sadly, I'd, I was shortlisted, but didn't actually sort of 
um, end up winning the award. But um, but yeah, yeah, I think you could be right. You know, there's there's not enough um, kind of focus on it. But anyway, let's. I mean, we're slightly sidetracked, <laughs> but the really interesting side conversation. But um, uh, I would really like maybe to hone in around um, the area that you've become really passionate, you know, mm-hmm. about, which is to do with culture, which is also linked quite closely with brand and and, and so on. So I, I wonder mm-hmm. if you could, you know, explain the journey that you've been on, you know, from GSK now to sort of focusing very much on mm-hmm. culture and brand and so on. Absolutely. In GSK, we were, I was a part of the Central Eastern European team. And I can tell you that the culture that we were building was amazing. It was very close to my heart, very close to my own values, but not exactly the same as the company was building it. Uh, and I could see that when I changed the, the, my uh, reporting role, suddenly started, my role started to report to, um, to uh, another area, so to a media director in Europe. And I could see that we had a completely different understanding of what our values mean. And that was very interesting for me. I didn't know how to change that. I didn't even, you know, I just thought about it. I was like, okay, when my boss says in line with transparency, it's actually, to me, it doesn't make any sense because it had nothing to do with transparency, what he was saying. Yeah. So I was starting to think about that, but I didn't do much. I was just a little bit unhappy. Um, I didn't find really, um, I didn't find the values that he was talking about as motivating as the ones that we were talking about in CE. Of course, it was the same value again. It was just differently interpreted. So when I left GSK to come back to Slovenia, uh, I didn't know first what I'm going to do. But then a friend of mine his, uh, told me that his husband is developing, her husband is developing a um, new, uh, new framework and invited me to talk about it. And it was amazing. He is a computer. His name is Mateusz Media. He did high school in computers, but he is the designer, one of the first to receive red dot design in Slovenia, extremely intelligent, uh, introvert, which is quite interesting because I'm completely opposite. Uh, and he was realizing that he was doing his work often twice, three times, four times. So his design work, when they were doing architecture of the brand or communication of the brand, he realized that something that they got into the brief and how they understood the brief and they went back to the brand manager and the brand manager approved. Then someone from higher in the rank came in and said, oh, but this is not on our values. And Mm -hmm. again, the words were the same, but understanding was different. So he started to work on something to understand the brand better, to understand the brief better, to make sure that he's not doing the same job three, four, five times. And he came up with a framework called Business Genome. First, he was only thinking into the, about the brand, but he understood immediately that the whole business depends on it, right? So it's not just the values, how you present them in the brand, but it's how you present them in the whole organization in everybody employed and connected with the, with the company. So he invited me to work with him and I was absolutely thrilled because it is really something that I've been thinking a lot about, but I didn't know what to do about it or how mm-hmm. to even, 
I didn't even think that I'll ever have anything to do with it. So when we started to work together, I um, invented the applicative methods. So how to use this within the organization. Um, and it is great. It's quite an amazing framework and I'm really uh, very excited to talk about it. <laughs> well, I think before perhaps we go into how, how you know, sort of it works, I, I think it'd be quite good to take a couple of steps back, if that's mm -hmm. okay. And I'd just sure. like to talk about, um, about what we mean by culture, I think. I think that's, that's, I'd love to have that discussion with you. Um, and you've used the word values quite a bit as well as we've been talking and, and how the same word can be misinterpreted, you mm -hmm. know, by different people. And you come up with a very different perception, I guess, of, of what is meant by certain values. And that influences culture in some way, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, that it can translate into a, a very different type of culture, depending on how you see different things, even though the words are very similar. Um, so could you, could you explain um, to our listeners, what what you mean by culture and mm -hmm. and the link maybe with values? Yeah, absolutely. So culture, or I'll go a step back. If you look at the organization, yeah, the organization has a structure, has a leadership, has brands, has um, technology, products, uh, but it also has culture. And culture is something that connects all this together. Some parts of the culture are typical of the environment, let's say, depending on which part of the world you are. Some part of the culture depends on in which area of business are you working, but some of it, it's very unique. So culture is something that anyone feels without knowing why. Yeah. So when you talk to someone, mm -hmm. the impression they give you, it's a culture. It's not the, just the words they say, but it's how they do things. When you read about the company in the, in the newspapers or hear about on TV, the way they talk about them, the way their people make public appearances, it's culture. So culture is something that is so extremely unique that, for example, everything can be stolen or copied from an organization. Brands, people can be stolen, name can be, technology can be stolen, but the culture cannot be done because it's so unique and depends on all different aspects of organization, starting from, as I mentioned before, where does the company name? For example, very simple, very simple thing. Do you call each other by names? Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that can depend on, on uh, where you come from. I know that when I started to work, for example, and I worked with German companies, at that time, they were all calling each other by surnames. Yeah? yeah, And it was part of the culture, of the culture of the whole country, not just the culture of the company. Yeah, But mm -hmm. once you went into UK, for example, everybody was calling each other by name. So that is a very simple influence of the mm -hmm. surrounding. But then you have also the influence of the values of the people who are in charge. Yeah, So if the leader, uh, the owner, CEO, the leadership team, or just the person who is a key opinion leader in your group, behave certain way, then this creates the culture in the company. It's a really interesting, I think everyone, of course, will know and have come across that word, you know, culture. I, I think what, what is uh, more complex, and perhaps this is part of what you are uh, sort of, if you like, getting to the core of, is it, it 
you know, it's a, it's a, it's a complex amalgam of, you know, uh, the um, influences that come to bear on an organization, which is influenced maybe mm-hmm. by the culture of the country in which you live. It's influenced by uh, the leadership styles like you've just mentioned. Uh, and And I really like this notion as well that you've just mentioned about the fact that that people can, you know, steal or or copy, you know, similar things that you might be copying from a marketing point of view, but they can't copy culture. Culture is something that's totally unique, you know, to an organization. Um, but it's got lots of moving parts, I guess. Uh, it is the leaders, but it's also, I guess, the people that work inside an organization mm-hmm. as well. It's It's not just down to the leader that the culture is going to be defined. I would imagine, you know, the bigger the company, perhaps the the more you're going to be uh, influenced by all the layers of management and mm-hmm. people, you know, that that help build a culture. Have I got well, that right? Do you think, Vesna, or or is or not? Yeah, absolutely, Phil. If you look at a startup, for example, let's let's look into the startup which was organized, uh, set up by two people. Yeah, they they create a culture among themselves. Yeah. And if their their value, they can be different in style, like Mateusz and me. Mateusz is introvert, I'm extrovert, yeah. But that doesn't really influence the values that we have. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. we have similar values, the organization will grow in similar way because we will employ people who have similar values, or if we employ someone who doesn't have similar values, soon there will be a clash. Yeah. And if there will be a clash, you can sometimes maybe keep a person because you need that profile, but in long term, this will not work because everyday, everyday situations, everyday activities will be performed completely different by that, that person in line with values or not in line with values, then you will do them as a start, as a um, owner, for example. So this mm-hmm. is where there are two owners and one new person comes in. So that one new person will adopt, yeah, adjust or leave. Yeah. Once you grow, for example, up to approximately, there is a theory that says that up to approximately 150 to 200 people, the culture and the values can be transformed down from the leadership to the employees. This, of course, depends if they're sitting together, if they meet each other very odd, because you can lead by example. Mm-hmm. And leading by example is the most powerful way of transforming culture to others. But the bigger the company, or if they sit in different uh, locations or in different countries, like the multinationals, like I mentioned, GSK had a completely different culture in CE than the global culture. It was Mm -hmm. not in conflict, right? It was just different. Or I would say maybe it was in conflict sometime, but it was not better or worse. It was just different. And a lot of people who came to work from one part of GSK to another might have felt more comfortable in one team than in the another. And that is not about their, uh, their professional abilities. It was not about their knowledge. It was about culture. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And I mean, there's been a, an awful lot recently sort of published about culture. Um, I know Harvard Business Review um, has published a number of articles that talk about, mm-hmm. you know, which is more important, is it strategy versus culture? And uh, 
and I'm sure you, you, you're on top of the data a, a lot more than I yeah. am, but um, I think there's a general consensus uh, um, that, that people regard or senior leaders regard culture as being more important than strategy. And I, I don't know if you would agree with that. Um, if you've got a great strategy but the wrong culture, it's going to be, uh, or a you know culture that yeah doesn't quite work. It, you know mm-hmm. that's that's worse than having a culture that's brilliant but a strategy that's not right because you can, you know, if there's a problem with strategy, you can you can address it. Fix yeah, it. you can change the strategy, but it's it mm-hmm. like you said earlier. You know, it's it's a much more complex process to change culture. I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And what happens with culture and structure? What is the difference between strategy and culture is that you can write the strategy down, you can measure it, and you can follow it. While with the culture up to now, which is very interesting, actually, there was no standardized ways how to write it down, which means that changing it, uh, influencing it, designing it, it was much more difficult than the strategy. As you said, strategy, you write, you see that there, there. Uh, first of all, once you write it, you think about it much more, because people talk about culture, but they don't really in depth very often think about it, not in a structured way. And I think that is where uh, this um, this I would say uh, challenge comes with the, with the culture, because mm. strategy you have written, you have checked, people read it, people take time time to talk about it, and if there is an issue, they fix it. With culture, very often, because it is not written, because we don't sit down and think about it, because we cannot measure it, very often it happens that we are sort- solving or sorting one little piece of it, which might even be a consequence and actually not consequence of the culture but, and not culture itself. Yeah. So I think that is one thing which is um, why we say for years already that the culture is the most important and defining thing of the company, mm. but we haven't been able to really structure it in a way that we could manage and change it. And I guess this is the reason why you've, you've embarked on this new initiative. Is, is that right? It's trying to figure out a way of doing it. Can I, can I hold that thought just for a moment? Mm-hmm. Because um, I just like to kind of relate it a little bit back to some of our experience, which is quite similar to yours, is that, um, and we talk a lot um, here at Consari about mindset and about uh, the importance of having salespeople, you know, who have the right mindset, you know, for mm-hmm. selling. And uh, I think if you brought a, a, a room of sales, direct, you know, filled up a room of sales directors and you were to ask them the question, which is more important, is it mindset or skill set? You know, they they would say it's mindset and they're, they're mm-hmm. absolutely right. But when you then ask the question, OK, so you've all recognized that mindset is important. What do you mean by that word? They wouldn't they wouldn't be able to answer it mm-hmm. because they haven't defined exactly what is the mindset? And I think this is what um, this is what we found when we were doing our research around, mm-hmm. you know, how do you how do you decode? You know, how do you um, uh, you know try to get into the code of what what's behind that word mindset? And this is this is uh, this has started me off on this journey of a doctorate that uh, that led to the definition of what what, according to customers, are the key mindsets required of salespeople. 
Um, but I think what what so what you've alluded to around culture, I hundred percent agree that I think that people use this word, you know, very commonly, but there's not been a way to extrapolate. Well, what what does that mean? It, it's so intangible. So I'm very excited, to, you know, that you found a way of um, codifying, I guess, what is mm-hmm. what is culture, and it's going to be very different from company A to company B. So how, do you mind sharing a little bit of how do you how do you go about this? Yeah. Well, actually, Mateusz and I were working on this. As I said, he he um, invented the framework, and then I I invented the way how to use it uh, practically in the companies. And then we were tapping each other on shoulder for a while and being completely impressed with each other. And then we realized that okay, maybe we need to go and talk to some other people. Are we just so impressed because? You know, because it's us, is it really possible that someone from tiny Slovenia who has never worked in culture, neither him or me, we've never been in HR, right? And sometimes people say that HR is responsible for culture, which I do not agree. I agree that the leadership team is the most important for, uh, most um, responsible for the culture. But, you know, we came out of completely different things. He's a designer. I'm a media marketing specialist. Um, both we both have leadership experiences, but we've never worked in culture. So we realized at one point that we better go and check up what do people mm-hmm. who really know something about it um, think of it. So we came just before Corona. We actually just before COVID started, we came to London, and um, we were fortunate enough that Perry Timms, the HR Thinker of the Year 22. Um, accepted us for the meeting. And he also organized a couple of other meetings with people who are at that time, uh, it was an HR, um, HR person from NHS. Um, it was a consultant to the Queen's uh, household. So different kind of people who had something to do with culture, uh, but um, took their time, had one hour with us. We're extremely grateful to them. Uh, and they listened to us and the feedback we got was amazing. It was from how come I didn't think of that? This is so simple, you know, because it's not a complex, it's a very simple framework. Yeah. So Perry said, this is, this is so simple. I I wished I would think of that. Uh, someone Mm -hmm. said it's a game changer in the whole culture way. Um, so we got such a great positive feedback and we even got ideas on how to improve so what we're work- right now, the framework can work in the present time and can help companies decode and manage the culture. But in the future, you will be able to actually, before employing the, the let's say before employing the salesperson or uh, the sales representative, you will be able to check whether their mindset actually fits and overlaps with the company mindset, yeah, their culture. Mm-hmm. If the way they would solve, because there is in the mindset, obviously, if you talk, I would assume, I haven't read the research, but I would assume that most of the sales directors said that initiative and persistence would be some of those values. Am I right? Did anyone talk about um, that? Well, they, 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 um, they, they did talk about it, um, um, uh, and that's often how it's defined, but, mm-hmm. um, and they talk about tenacity and persistence and resilience. You know, these are some words that are sometimes used, um, because salespeople can get told 
know mm-hmm. quite often and you've got to be able to pick yourself up and you know move on to the next sales opportunity um yeah but the work the the work that i did with customers of course they don't care so much about persistence and resilience mm-hmm. you know they care about other things and so um and it's this area that um the sales directors were nowhere near close you know to mm-hmm. getting close to i would say understanding listening yeah it's yeah about being client centric um yeah it's about being authentic and it's about mm-hmm. being uh proactively creative and mm-hmm. my favorite actually word is is tactfully audacious it's the art of knowing how far to go without going too far um so it's about the way you challenge and it's uh, these are these are values that customers look for in sales people mm-hmm. and uh, they um uh you know the passion that you have for your products and solutions tenacity in a way the, these are things that they would expect you to have but um and it would uh, it enable a salesperson to be more client centric mm-hmm. because the way they they kind of focus on their problems and and so on um so yeah i mean these are uh, th- yeah, these are these are words that customers tend to use. And, and... Oh, if we take this, um, how did you say uh, the first one? The authenticity, like, ki- kindly, client... kindly, kindly persuasive, or con- kindly. Oh, oh tactfully audacious. Yes, it's yes. Uh, tact as being respectful, and audacious is uh, acting with courage. I guess. Okay, yeah. so if you ask twenty people, where is the the limit of being? tactfully yeah. audacious and aggressive, everyone will have their line a little bit different. Correct. Right? Yeah. And then, and they will each be right. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ask me where I think, and if you ask my client, it will probably not be the same. And we are both right. Yeah. So yeah. we as a company need to decide how are we going to tackle that? And if this becomes a part of our culture to adjust to the clients, then yeah. we need to have an agreed ways how do we learn about clients needs you know but again Correct. how in lines with our values yeah Absol- not just yeah, if this is our value we need yeah. to know we need to agree are we following our line are we following clients line how yeah. do we find it and these are the things everything that we answer how is part of the culture yeah no, I agree. I, I mean, you picked up on a, an, an interesting one because there are very few selling organizations who wouldn't say that client centricity is important. Mm-hmm. So how many of those organizations would have asked the client, how do you want us to sell to you? Mm-hmm. Not to service you or how to sell to you. And honestly, yeah. it's less than 1% actually go bother to ask the question. So when you when when you're looking at values and belief systems and you're looking at what what's actually going to communicate to customers this really client centric uh, kind of approach it it goes um it it goes much much further than being good at asking questions and being good mm-hmm. at listening it goes into something like you were saying it's part of your DNA it's a part of uh how you operate it's also you know you can talk your client centric yeah, yeah, and have all the things set up in this. But then, if on the other side you only motivate and incentivize your your salespeople on the 
sales they're doing on and on the level of the sales, then obviously you're not taking that in consideration. So it's not a part of your culture. It's just a part of what you're saying. Yeah, uh, that's true. And, and that's where a lot of the tension can exist. So you have, you know, you, I guess you're touching upon processes and systems okay. and reward systems. And how do you, you know, how do you, uh, what are all the levers at your disposal to, mm-hmm. um, and what, and what do they do to drive behavior? Which is, I guess, I'm sure something else that you must look at when you look at, at culture. And quite often you find that an organization's systems and processes do not drive, um, let's call it culture, a, a sales culture. <laughs> Uh-huh. that is aligned with the culture that customers would like to see from a sales force because it drives a behavior that's very supplier-centric. It's uh-huh. not so customer-centric. Um, they tend to be very tunnel vision about just meeting a quota, about meeting a sales target, and it uh, comes across in in very subtle ways to customers. They They can tell when there's tension, uh, uh-huh. in a salesperson to to reach a budget. They can just tell. They smell it. You know, it's... Well, this is a part of culture because what we do is... Yeah. What we, if we want to be client-centric, it's not enough that the sales team is client-centric. The organization yeah. has to be client-centric. Correct. Because how many times has it happened that the salesperson was client-centric and maybe even asked and talked and sold an amazing product, but then the execution or the accounting... Or, yeah. you know, the, the uh, complaint relations acted completely 100%. different. 100%. I, I know. And this, I... Is what, this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to make yeah. sure that the values that the company wants to, um, to show to the customers are, and to their employees are actually really the values throughout the organization, yeah. throughout the whole spheres of the organization, not just the salesperson or not just the HR person. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah, that's, that's, that's great. So let's come back to, you know, I think it's really interesting what you were saying earlier on about you can, you can see strategy written down in a PowerPoint slide deck or whatever it might, might be, but you don't see culture, you know, you, so I'm, I'm, so, so how do you define culture? Cause it's, it's so, it, it's such a, are you able uh-huh. to share that or do you want to share, share that? Yes, absolutely. So okay. what we do is we, it's a very, it's really a very simple process though. You know, what we do is we uh, have different stages of the process, but um, it's all based on discussing and defining first what is an existing, or if you're a startup, we already start with designing a new one. But if you're an existing organization, we first put down what is the existing culture. The way we do it is that we talk to the people in a, in a framework, we have workshops where we discuss how the values are manifested in every part of the organization, not just in sales, not just in HR, but in the product, right? So if you're, if you say that you're client centric and then, you know, your product is very difficult to use, whoop, mm-hmm. you know, you already lost them. Um, or if you say that you're ecologic environmental, let's say that you're your value is being environmentally friendly, and then you send tons and tons of papers to your clients to sign and to review and all that. You know, so there are little things which we discuss. We take time. We structure it in a way that we discuss about business, about relations, 
to stakeholders, to mm -hmm. uh, employees, to the environment. Then we talk about product, about communication, even about uh, fairs, which they go to the business um, business offices. So, or if there's retails about shops. So we take the whole sphere of organization and we discuss manifestations. Some of those will be behaviors, yeah, which is very known. So there's been a lot of work already in behaviors, but some of those are not behaviors. Some of those are just like, if we have an open, for example, if we have transparency as a, as a value, just as an example, and we have open spaces, how, what does this actually mean in the line of transparency? Yeah. Uh, so how do we create the spaces to be in line with, with this value? Mm -hmm. So it can be behaviors, it can be many different kinds of manifestations. And uh, when you look at the whole, maybe to make it uh, easier to understand. So in the organization, you have roles and responsibilities. This is who does what and to whom they report. Then you have processes, which is what you do at a certain moment to get to the certain result. And then culture or business genome, which is core, um, um, documented culture, documented DNA of the organization, tells you how to do these things in line with values. And if okay. you, when you do it with the organization, you see what is the existing one. Then we mm -hmm. usually do it with, uh, with the leadership team, what they think is an existing culture. Mm -hmm. And more often than not, we find out that there are some gaps. And they're not gaps because people are, you know, behaving differently just because they want, or it's usually just because there was not enough communication about the things which are not important in this particular moment for this particular business. We are running around, we are talking about processes, we're checking what needs to be done, and often we forget to discuss how will it be done. Yeah? Mm. And this is where actually the whole, if you put all these together, you actually have a person who comes into the office, gets the job description, gets the processes, and gets the corporate DNA, yeah, business genome. So mm -hmm. they know what is their job, what they need to do to achieve the results, and how they need to do it. Mm. So they get the whole package. Got it. Yeah, no, really. But I imagine it's quite a complex. Um, they're trying to take the culture and see how does it affect someone working in finance or someone mm -hmm. working in production. Imagine that's quite a, a process that one would actually go through to create this, this sort of operating manual around culture. Is, is that so? Or do you find, do you find it, you know, or have you got a, a way of sort of getting to that result, if you like, uh, sort of fairly quickly or efficiently? We, we have an efficient way, which, of course, is not done within a week or two. Uh, yeah. depending on the size of the organization, it will take more time, but it's much faster than any other process, which takes three, four, five times to change the culture in the organization. Right. So our process is much faster because uh, you actually get a guide. You write, you have it mm -hmm. written down. So again, if I say that what we do is we decode it with the team, then we decode it with the leadership and design with them what they want to have in the future. And we write all that in the app which is already the app which we use is designed in a way that we can click on the manifestations okay. which are important either for particular job description or yeah. even more for particular, uh, particular topic. So we create 
once we've written all that, which was done in few workshops, and then we do yeah. the work of documenting it, then we sit down with either leadership or with the persons responsible for a specific area, and we make create briefs. And brief is brief brief has up to ten manifestations, which we've chosen, and has different topics. For example, who we are, what do we stand for, how do we handle negotiation in line with our values, how do we how do we lay off someone in line of the values? Yeah. How do we choose people in line of the values? So you get ten, you get sort of the culture dissected in up to 10 manifestation briefs, which you can pick up and look into at the moment you okay. need them. For example, when you come to, when you have a new person coming to work, almost every organization organizes a cultural day uh, at the beginning. You know, and they tell how we do things and we talk about that, which is great. But you imagine you come in as a new person, your head is full. You don't know yet the organization. You don't know the people. You're trying to remember where your chair is. You're trying to remember where where the kitchen is. You're trying to remember what the names of your colleagues are. You cannot remember everything they tell you that day. The way we can do it with Business Genome is that you get some chunks of information today. You get a couple of briefs in a week. You get a couple of briefs in 10 days. It can be fully automatized or you can have HR or a leader sending it to you. And this is the benefit of this business genome because actually it creates a path of the most important briefs mm -hmm. that are important for your position. Or let's say someone uh, is promoted. Yeah. And usually when someone is promoted, you get a handshake and a schedule for the trainings for the next 12 months, let's say. But in the case of business genome, you can immediately send them a couple of briefs, how we manage, how we motivate people, how we deal um, with difficult situations and everything in line with our values, not something that you get from the internet, even mm -hmm. though sometimes it can be the same thing. If our culture is that we deal like, you know, some influencer or some a, some um, um, writer wrote it. Okay, it's fine. It can be the same. But very often, we do it a little bit different than everyone else. Nothing. And you get that in a form of a brief. And you can, again, get everything at the same time. You can get it every week, which helps you uh, until you get to the long-term trainings, until you, you know, mm. until you get other ways of learning how you're going to do the things. It's fantastic. Sounds very, um, sounds very thorough. Very interesting. Uh, you know, the fact you've got an app as well that's behind mm -hmm. uh, the the kind of process, and um, I shall look forward to uh, looking at uh, yeah. that in some detail. I hope <laughs> at some point. Absolutely. It sounds if you're a big organization, or even if you're a small organization, it doesn't matter. But you can actually have an app on your phone, and you mm -hmm. can access. You sit in the car, if you're a salesperson, you sit in the car and just like you look into the information about what the, you know, what the client was buying and what are their preferences and the names of their children and dogs and so on, you also look into, okay, so how do I, we've had this issue, for example, how do I deal with customer complaints in line with our values? You look into that in the car mm -hmm. before you enter the room or before you call the uh, online and you have a quick reminder of how we do 
the things in line with values, which means that if today I break a leg and someone else comes tomorrow, the customer will see a different person, will see a different style of communication, mm -hmm. but will have the same feeling of the values. It will have the same feeling. You will know that this person comes from the same team. That's great. So um, I can see a huge, uh, huge potential for what you're doing. I think it's an area that's been, yeah, un not really defined that well. Um, so you're operating from Ljubljana, I, b I believe that's where yep. you're, you're based. Um, but I imagine that uh, you're sort of going uh, global with your um, your concepts and ideas. Um, how do you see the future? You know, for mm -hmm. for what you're doing. Well, it's uh, it's actually there is no end to what we're doing, uh, honestly, because what we're on on part of one side, we are acting as consultants and we bring the clients to the stage. We help them decode, mm -hmm. design and manage their corporate DNA. We help them change the DNA uh, if that is uh, if that is uh, wished and wanted. Uh, we also certify uh, practitioners to do that, the same thing around the world. Mm -hmm. And so far we have uh, 35 certified practitioners. Uh, okay. who are doing the same for us or in their own name, but the business. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the third thing which we are doing is we're building a global or an enormous uh, library of actionable knowledge. As okay. we said before, some of the, some parts of the culture are unique to every organization or mm -hmm. almost every organization. Yeah. So what we're doing, we're building briefs, manifestations, yeah on, for example, how to sell, how to negotiate, either you mm -hmm. do it in line with, uh, you know, with win-win strategy, or you do it in line with, I stand and do not move strategy, which is, for example, what, what Russia is doing today, right? Mm -hmm. You demand everything and then you stand yeah. there and you wait for the others to come to you, or you have your own way. But these two or three briefs will be a part of a global library that you, if you are, if you are, if you are a client of business genome, you will have, and you prescribe to the app, you will have mm -hmm. access to all these libraries. And up to today, we have more than 300 briefs already prepared on oh. different topics. Great. So if you are a startup, for example, even if you're a big corporation, but if you're a startup, this is just something that there's no way you can get because if you're mm -hmm. a big organ organization, you have parts of knowledge, which are, um, if not in one person, they're scattered around the organization. Mm -hmm. But if you're a startup, all that you get with one click, pretty much, it is quite amazing. And mm. it's done in actionable chunks of knowledge. Yeah. So you don't need to read the whole book or listen mm -hmm. to one hour of training, which is better. Yeah. I'm not yeah. saying that this is working instead of them, but it yeah. is an excellent reminder when you need it in a short term and in a short, um, uh, short time, accessible in the sh immediate time. So there is, uh, and with this library, if the, when this library grows, it's actually no end because mm. we're thinking to have it to some extent an open source so mm -hmm. that people, when they prepare their business genome, they will be able to do it by themselves, mm -hmm. but they will leave the briefs inside as, mm. you know, give and take. Uh, so the library is supposed to grow enormously. It's just a matter of 
time and a matter time. of finances. Yeah. So we have amazing ideas. Also, you know, even now already when two companies merge, we yeah. can check where are the differences and where are the gaps in the culture. And then we can try to bring it together, design the new culture, common mm -hmm. culture and manage it. Yeah. Yeah. So this is possible already now, but in the future, you will also be possible to check in advance before merging. So this is mm -hmm. now happening when you know that you're merging or you already merged and you can check that in the future, you will be able to, to upvote the uh, different kind of man different manifestations, uh, all positive, mm -hmm. of course, and you will mm -hmm. be able to see whether the companies match from the start, even before you start mm -hmm. the process of uh, merging. The same with the people that you employ. Yeah. So we discussed before about the values in sales. So if you want to have the sales uh, customer-centric or client-centric values in the company, you will be able to not just check that with a salesperson, but also with the accountant. Yeah, mm -hmm. the, the the manifestation of client-centric that are part of the accountant's work, you will be able to check them in advance. Mm. So we have Amazing. big, big, big plans. Big plans. Well, it sounds mm -hmm. terribly exciting. And uh, I think you're going to have a very, very interesting future with this idea. And yeah, I think it's so important. And I, I think uh, for any of our listeners who are interested to find out more, I'm sure Vesna will be around. We'll make sure that Vesna's details are in the, mm -hmm. in the show notes that we have with the program. But um, Vesna, I just want to say a huge thanks for joining us. I think you're doing a, an incredibly important thing, uh, sort of defining culture. We come across this so often with clients that we work, so I'm quite sure that we'll we'll introduce you to a number of the organizations as well here in the UK and uh, hope we can help you get started on your uh, on your international expansion somehow even quicker than you're doing at the moment. So thank you very much. Thank you. It is really an honor to be able to talk to you about this because sales is definitely, you know, the sales teams are the first or very often the most visible parts of the organization. And they're, they're striving so much to make a good impression, to live in line with values. And then sometimes the organization around them is not supporting it. So I think that actually the match with Consalia and with, with culture is really very important, as you mentioned already yourself. It is. Yeah. I mean, in a way, you're, you're certainly preaching to the converted over here. But um, <laughs> I think the way you've started to develop your ideas and evolve them into uh, defining it as you have done is uh, is incredibly interesting. And I, yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, there's a there's a natural alignment uh, with with certainly what we're doing. So I think on that note, we can bring the, the, this uh, podcast session to a close. Uh, thank you, Vesna. I hope you'll come back and share with us the evolution of the business. Uh, it may be sometime in the future. You can tell us uh, how it's uh, sort of progressed, but it's uh, been great. Thank you. With yeah. pleasure. Thank you very much. <laughs>